Hi everyone, thanks so much for listening. I just want to give a heads up that we talked for so long in this episode, my microphone died partway through, so my sound quality gets very bad in the latter half of the episode. So sorry. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to This Movie is Gay, a podcast that takes your favorite very long heterosexual films and demonstrates over the course of two episodes sometimes hey why that is not the case i'm Haley. i'm emma and we're back it is the return of the king part two. Oh my god the return of the king part two you episode know what i realized four yeah <laughs> is that we are in the, the grand tradition of mm. you know how like after harry potter split the seventh yep. movie into two movies and then every oh, single man. franchise had to split their last movie into two that's what we're doing this is perfect it's the perfect double header like christmas extravagant like like holiday party extravaganza we are the deathly hollows if you are hosting a christmas party play this <laughs> oh my god play it alienate all your friends anyway oh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> we're back um if you haven't we're listened back. to the previous episodes covering the fellowship of the ring the two towers and return of the king part one definitely you are go <laughs> go back do the reading and then return to the king a <laughs> we're a little giddy because um we've been talking about lord of the rings for now over an hour and we're about to talk hours. about it for another hour or yes. more yeah um, okay yes so when left we left last we left i had gotten very emotional about eowyn who i love yeah. and faramir who i also love but i think it's time to talk about the hobbits um it's just it's i realize we've we've we're building a lot of suspense let's pretend this is intentional and good structural storytelling <laughs> and not um, being our obsession with Faramir <laughs> and not our obsession with Faramir I just love him I love Eowyn so much <laughs> it's fine um, let's start with since we've, since we've been talking actually about Faramir and Eowyn yeah. let's talk about Merry and Pippin yes Yes, our boys. Finally, as we've been, we've been, we've been treating them very kind of lightly throughout this series so far, because we've been like, ah, oh, the jokesters, ah, oh, the gay little fight they have about their height and two towers, like, ah, oh, they're getting high at Isengard. But like, as you sort of foreshadowed back in the Fellowship episode, this is where it really gets real for them. Yeah, it does. And I think it's, um, yeah, it's interesting. I sort of, I mentioned this at the end of last time, but there's something in the way that they split. And like, you know, we, we mentioned our two toxic masculinity kings, Theoden and Denethor. Yes. And they sort of each go to one of them to kind of spread yeah. the gay hobbit gospel. Yeah, yeah, that has started to feel really significant to me. The fact that like, obviously their parting is an accident and it's because Pippin does a stupid thing their parting breaks my heart but also actually yeah. can we talk about that for one second because that was something I'd yeah. never really noticed before that really struck me watching it this time through was mm -hmm. the way that we get a scene with Frodo Sam and Gollum a sort of relatively innocuous one of like Sam's like kind of suspicious of Gollum you know the the dynamic that they have throughout yeah. this movie of like Sam's suspicious Gollum's being a creep Frodo's like no don't um, yeah. And then you're sort of like, well, this can't, this status quo cannot stand. Um, no. 
And then we kind of cut, not directly, because first we get a little scene with um, Aragorn and Eowyn, um, where she's like sleeping and he like covers her. But then we sort of right after that switch to Merry and Pippin in the Palantir, which Pippin right. is fixated on. And it's this sort of weird juxtaposition of these three sort of, I mean, couples, <laughs> couples, but also weird trios, like couple and source mm. of temptation. And I just was really, I just mm. found the juxtaposition on like a scene and editing level really interesting. That is interesting. So Sam Frodo Gollum, and then it cuts to Aragorn Eowyn in that weird sleepy scene. And then, and then it cuts to, and then it sort of Mary transitions Pippin. to Merry and Pippin sleeping and Pippin kind of waking up to kind of mm. sneak about with the Palantir, which is right. the seeing stone thing that he, that they got from Sauron and he's like been fixated on and uh, Gandalf with, which we quickly learn very good reason, yes. tells him not to touch. Right. Uh, but I, yeah, it's just something about, and then that is, as you say, the thing that leads to the two of them being forced apart. The separation. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, they have, they have been side by side, you know, saving each other through the end stuff, you know, through this whole series. And now we get to this point where, like you said, they get crowbarred apart and sent to these, to the toxic masculinity kings. Mm -hmm. And After, finally, yeah, hurting yeah. that I find it devastating. It is devastating. So let's get into it because it is often, does a bad thing. Yeah, it is ahead. often the part of the movie where I first start crying. I was going to say, is this where it started for you? <laughs> You know, it didn't this time. It wasn't until they lit the beacons, but like it gets Ooh. me a little choked up. Me too. Because the, I mean, it's the thing that, you know, we've been saying all along, they're the happy brunch gaze. And then suddenly they they're having this like devastating parting. And it's this moment of like, as usual, Pippin isn't sure what's going on, but Mary understands perfectly what's happening. And Even though is, he caused it. <laughs> yeah. But it's, and it's also like Mary's upset that he, upset that Pippin doesn't understand, upset yeah. that once again, he's the one who has to bear the burden of getting what's going on. Yes. It's, it's hard. It's really tricky. So when they... Oh, it's the, it's the little, there's a little tremor, isn't it? That's right. It's the one that you always love. Cause Pippin says it's when Gandalf is like, we're going to Gondor and they're walking toward the kind of stable or whatever. And, Ga yeah. and Gandalf and Pippin are about to ride. And Pippin well, says to Mary, you're coming with me, right? Well, it's as Gandalf's hoisting him up onto the horse. He's like halfway yeah. out the door and he's like, you're coming with me. And Mary's like, no. And he's like, I can't remember now what Pippin says, but he's like, but we'll see each other again. He and says, Pippin we'll see says, each other again soon. Yeah. And Mary says, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. And that is the note that they part on. And Pippin yeah. can't believe it. Like he can't process it. He just goes like, Mary, Mary. And then they yeah. like ride and it's the worst. I mean, and yeah. it's absolutely terrifying. And so that's how Mary ends up staying with Theoden yeah. and Eowyn and the Riders of Rohan and, and Pippin has to go swear fealty to Denethor. And it's like the idea that like what that says about their dynamic, that it's like the oh. most unfathomable and shattering and horrible thing is that Mary doesn't know what's going on. Oh, Mary cannot yeah. clearly see a future in which they are together and safe and everything is fine and that's sort of what mary goes on to say is he sort of like runs up to the tower to like watch pippin go and he has this little sad conversation with aragorn where he's like i've always been there for him like he i would i got him into the worst sorts of trouble but i was always there to get him out again oh it's the i was all i was always there to get him out again and now he's gone like it's the saddest little moment and it's the i was always there to get him out that 
breaks my heart of like, yeah, now I won't be there. And, but it is really interesting because it sets up the fact that like, we have only known them as a unit and Mm -hmm. now they have to go have separate journeys and they learn Mm -hmm. slight, they learn distinct things because we've already, because we've already laid out the, the Faramir journey and the Eowyn journey, like Pippin and Mary are sort of along for the ride on both of those distinct paths. Yeah. And they sort of, have parallel experiences like as we sort of talked about before Pippin along with Faramir sort of learns ways to be useful and important without really fighting yes and Mary fights but in fighting kind of learns yes you Mm -hmm. can do this and actually you can do things that other people can't because of who you are and he also has my god I mean again, speaking of people within the story, speaking the themes that we're interested in, Mary, ha- Mary has the great line. Um, I, I know I can't save Middle Earth. I just want to save my friends. And then he has that moment where he goes on to say, like, you know, I want to I, ju- I just want to do it for Frodo and Sam for Pippin. And you're, and, oh my God. And it's just the most. But it's like, yeah, that's the lesson that all of these other humans that their paths are about learning that like, maybe that's, you know, he, he says it out loud. The thing of like, I just want to protect my friends. It's not about saving the world. And there is this really interesting shift that happens because as you say, both of them separately, I mean, their journeys are so directly paralleled to each other. Like they basically haven't separated because they're doing exactly (laughs) the same thing, Yeah. but they both pledge fealty to Mm -hmm. the Kings. But in fact, the people they end up kind of connecting with are- the two people in Eowyn and Faramir who are able to kind of understand the thing that hobbits have to teach, which is it's about connection. It's about love. It's about care for other people. Yeah. And then the two people who have learned that lesson end up together. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing is just romantic. (laughs) I mean, really, it is so beautiful. And because, but it's, it's sort of gorgeous because it's like by the time Mary and Pippin are reunited though, it's like, they have also learned that they can be valuable contributing members of society alone, Mm -hmm. which is not something that you feel like they understood. Like Pippin is like a little like soft shelled crab without Mary. (laughs) Like Pippin is just like a little, like, you know, I mean, it's- Yeah. And Mary has no one to sort of like temper his frustrations. Right. And so it's, it's just by the time that they find each other, they are more whole on their own as well, you know, which is sort of interesting. They're reuniting on the battlefield is also like the other <gasps> most heartbreaking moment in this entire film. I know. Because That's- little, little Pippin, he finds the cloak first, again, in this right. horrible scene in the aftermath of the big battle in front of Minas Tirith and everybody's wandering the battlefield and Pippin finds Mary's cloak and then just starts wandering around shouting his name. Jesus Christ, it's upsetting. And then when Pippin finds him. Yeah, he has to like, he's like under some orc. He has to like rescue him. It's gross. It's sad. But yeah, but it is sort of like something that struck me. I don't know if you feel this way is that when they do reunite, it's kind of a role reversal. Yeah. It's like Pippin is the one in the caretaking role. And Mary is really vulnerable. And so mm-hmm. when they when they find each other, Mary like quaveringly says, I knew you'd find me. And Pippin says like, it's all right, I'm going to take care of you. He says, are you going to leave me? And Ugh. Pippin says, no, I'm going to look after you. It's like exactly. I, 
the reverse of the moment. I mean, it's the sort of more, it's the, it's the positive resolution to their exchange yes. from the beginning of the movie of like, are we going to be together? No, no you no. fucked up and you have to leave. Right. And then it's because it's, it's, that's why you just did it. It's like, that's why it's so emotional to me. They're reuniting. It's taking you all the way back to the beginning of like Pippin fucked up, which is why they had to separate, which is why they had to go on these journeys. And for Pippin to be the one of like, yeah, no, I'm going to take care of things now. Yeah, well, that yeah, Mary feeling this guilt of like I always looked after him, yeah, and Pippin being like, no, I'm going to look after you. Oh my God, it's <laughs> so tender. I just rescued a man from the flames of a funeral pyre. I can do anything. Seriously, seriously, but yeah, it's like I mean, what do they both do? Like Pippin is the reason that Baramir lives. Yeah, on a couple of different counts, really, and and, and- Mary is really the reason that Eowyn lives because yeah. she's like being strangled by the witch king and then he comes right. and like stabs him in the knee. And that is what allows her to then stab him in the face. In the face, yeah. But they do, yeah, I mean, and they both sort of have, again, it's like they have these parallel conversations with Eowyn and Faramir. You thought we'd t- stop talking about Eowyn and Faramir. <laughs> nobody, <laughs> nobody thought that for a moment. <laughs> I'll never stop. They've got our number. <laughs> Oh, I just, anyway, I um, but it's like the, 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 the match in a way to the sort of like the armor never fitted me anyway. Like, yeah, you have a different kind of strength conversation is the pair really of conversations that Eowyn and Mary have the first one yeah. when she's sort of like helping him, you know, get his armor on and being like, yeah. oh, you need a sword and stuff. Like she's the only one who believes in him. Right. Believes that like the two of us can do this thing. That's the sort of thing that she says to Amir essentially is like, yeah, you don't under like we are capable of this. Yeah. And then Theoden is like, well, thank you so much, you know, Mary, for being my <laughs> symbolic squire. But now that we're actually going to fight, you, you would be a down. burden. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. the word he uses that you highlighted. Oh. He says, I can't ask one of my men to bear you as a burden or something like that. Oh my God, it's so heartbreaking. Also, I'm so sorry, tiny sidebar. Every time you say the armor never fitted me anyway, all I hear is that to the tune of the snow never bothered me anyway, or the cold never <laughs> bothered me anyway from Frozen. And every time you say it, my brain just goes, the armor never fitted me anyway. Um, if anybody would I'm like so... to produce that parody track. Um... I'm so sorry to have done that to everyone, but I just... You can find because... Emma at, at Emma Rosa Way on Instagram. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's really just, I mean, the, the, the symmetry. The symmetry. And, and then it's that she, again, is like the one who believes in him and scoops yeah. him up and is like, we're going to go to battle together. And then they have this lovely conversation where Eowyn, as ever, is despairing. And Mary's like, it, the thing you said, you know, like, I know I can't yeah. save Middle Earth, but I can save my friends. Exactly. And he yeah, he says that to her first, doesn't he? And then her eventual kind of final whisper in his ear when they're about to charge is courage, Mary, courage for our friends. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's, that's the lesson that gets passed back and forth the whole time, you know, but it's just uh, heartbreaking. I mean, in a way it's like in Mary and Eowyn, we have one version of what courage for our friends looks like. Yes. And in Pippin and I think Sam, who obviously mm. we'll get to, we're putting off intentionally, um, we have the other. Yeah. And there are different versions of care and kind of yes. different versions of support. And I think, yes. you know, one is a little more martial and one is yeah. much more sort of like 
nurse matey. Tender. Yeah. Tender is a better word. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's sort of, it's beautiful. And you know, what's weird about it is that even though it's like on a low, on a lower kind of level of the plot, the, the arc that we just described of where Mary and Pippin begin in this movie and where they end, it sort of feels like by the time it's all over and done and they've survived and we've all gone back to the Shire. And like, by the time Mary and Pippin reach their actual end, you sort of feel like something like a, an imbalance in their relationship has been rectified Mm, by, by the lessons that they've learned. And of course, like, you know, we, as, because we are going to get there, you know, by the time that they are returned to life basically, and are sort of holding hands, watching the last people sail off into the West. Like you do feel that like this thing of, I always took care of him and I always got him out of trouble is like, there's a different script now in a way. And like, I mean, Pippin in particular, like Mary sort of deals with his like (laughs) frustration problem, I guess. And like learns to source and like direct his courage. But like Pippin gets a lot more serious as a person, like Pippin sort of grows up over the course of Return of the King in a really gnarly way. And I mean, like it's not totally germane to the point, but it is one of my favorite scenes in the whole series. So I have to talk about it. The before battle scene with Gandalf. That oh my Pippin God. Has. This yeah. is where I start crying. BT does everybody. Um, I also cry there, but I've usually already begun by that point. Uh, we did both cry when we watched it. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, the moment where, the, as I subtitle it, Pippin learns about death. Um, <laughs> the, you know, it's the night before battle. It was the night before battle. They're staring out, you know, at the like lights of Mordor. Um, and well, and just to like insert the first thing he says, which is like an anathema thing to even think in this world is I don't want to be in a battle. That's right. That's what he says. Pippin says, I don't want to be in a battle. And, uh, you know, as they, as they begin to talk about it, you know, Gandalf has that great line where he says, it's like the deep, it's the deep breath before the plunge. And it's all just so, it's so, so emotional and heightened and visceral and weird. And uh, Pippin asks Gandalf about death and mm-hmm. says, you know, um, I forget exactly how he asks, but Gandalf goes on to say the brilliant, the brilliant speech where he says, you know, um, the gray mist curtains yeah, of this world will part, right. et cetera. Yeah. And then you see it. And as he describes it, he says, you see it, the white shores, you know, and like, Mm -hmm. it's this, and then into the West comes into the soundtrack. That's why I start crying. Oh my God. It's the worst. And then Pippin says, that's not so bad. That doesn't sound so bad. And then Gandalf says, no, it's not. And it's like one of the most sobering and like beautiful moments in the whole thing. And it's just like, you're a different Pippin after you've had that conversation. Well, you know why he's different is because the thing that Pippin has never understood, the reason he never understands what's happening and Mary does is because Pippin has never understood that there are consequences for his actions. Yeah, yeah. That's his, and it's like, it gets less and less funny as the thing goes on, but it's like from the moment that he, you know, it's like, chucking stones in the water outside of you know the mines of Moria to touching the Palantir because he's just so curious it's like he never understands it like if you do shit there are consequences and I feel like the it's you know you're joking but it is the idea that like Pippin Mm -hmm. discovers death is the idea of like he is faced with a consequence that even he is aware he cannot avoid yeah yeah and it's and it's a and it's also like beautiful to me that his his sort of weird innocent little self is the person that receives Gandalf's wisdom about like we are all poised on the brink of complete immolation in Return Mm -hmm. of the King like that's the the little ember of hope is so low 
in this moment, you know, even Gandalf in this movie says there was never much of a chance, Yeah, you know, or even Gandalf starts this movie by saying there was never much hope, only a fool's hope, you know, and it's like, and yet. Mm-hmm. And yet, I think I, two things about that. The person he says that to is Pippin, who is, of course, a fool, right? As we say over and over again, and I've just suddenly remembered that the thing Galadriel says to Pippin in Lothlorien is, you will find your strength. Oh, strength of a different kind is strength of a different kind. Yes, Faramir Squire strength. Yeah, Yeah. it's just uh, it's the strength of people whose power comes from loving their friends. Yeah, it's really beautiful. It's really beautiful. So like they go on a gorgeous journey. They contribute materially to both Eowyn and Faramir staying alive, but also like learning what they need to learn. Yeah, I mean, and I do think if there's a nice like sort of double date parallels of like the yes. people that are their very direct kind of symbolic yeah. mirrors end up together, which sort of reflects backwards and makes them seem even gayer. Even gayer, which like we didn't even need that. But No, like- <laughs> in that last scene when they're standing there with their arms around each other weeping, you're just like, oh, and then the two husbands walk off arm in arm to like go yeah, to their do. house. Yeah, they like walk off holding hands and you're like, and that's a serious wrap on Mary and Devin. <laughs> Enjoy your shared gay little house. Yeah. The apologetic look in like the scene with uh, at Sam's wedding when like they throw the bouquet and Pippin catches it and like this this girl kind of giving me the eye and he sort of gives her this apologetic like nah look he does he does like, I've got a boyfriend pour some out they are the best but yeah they're little I mean the in terms of just like gay feelings tm mm-hmm. tm tm the uh you know the price of admission alone is Mary's little quaver when he says I don't know what's going to happen it is the most but, but then it's like the thing that guides them through that uncertainty is in miniature right. the thing that everybody in the movie has to rely on at the moment when they think there is no hope which is I can't save Middle Earth, but I can save my friends. But I can save my friends. The idea That's of Pippin it. is mm-hmm. the thing. And Ugh. then it's that, I knew you would find me. It's like, there's the beacon, you know, at the end of this darkness is that's why you need in the sort of like mm-hmm. logic of the world, the lessons that people need to learn yeah. that we've been like tracking since the first movie. The reason you need this like life partner mm-hmm. is that it's someone who even when you're separated mm-hmm. is someone that you can hold on to and someone that you can kind of hitch your hope to yes yeah yeah and something that you love more than yourself yeah something something yeah it's like something outside yourself that you love even if you wouldn't have the strength to stay alive for yourself you would for this other person yeah Yeah. because really on some level like what is the ring except ultimate selfishness yes 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 and it's sort of the idea that like only some people, like some incredibly kind of wise and brilliant people can actually hold the scope of a nation in their minds, you know, who can care about people in the abstract. And we sort of see that Aragorn can do this. And I think in the end, Theoden learns to do this. Yeah. But for other people, it's like you need your Mm -hmm. friends. It's courage for our friends. It's like we, it's hard to believe in courage for everyone in the world. But right. you can maybe believe in courage for your, for Mary. Your other half. Your, for yeah. your other half. Yeah. I mean, what you just said about the ring's ultimate selfishness, that's so it. And that's like, so the threat of it. I mean, we talked about this last week, but like the thing of, 
isolation, masculinity, kingship, isolation. These are the forces that make you vulnerable Mm -hmm. to the ring. And like, I mean, that's why it's the ring versus Sam. I mean, yeah. you know, honestly, and end, we'll yeah. get, and, and we'll get to him, but that is why it's the ring versus Sam. You totally just bottled it. So that's like, I mean, there's obviously more we could say about Mary and Pippin, but should we turn our attention to the remaining bros of the fellowship? Yeah. Sort of a little, a quick little, a quick little reunion wrap up for yes. Aragorn, Legolas and Gimli who kind yeah. of, I mean, I just love at the beginning of this movie when they like roll up and they see Mary and Pippin fucking smoking and having brunch and they're like, we ran 200 miles cross country on foot for you little shits and here you are (laughs) yeah and then pippin's like salted pork tobacco and gimli is like what the fuck (laughs) like i'm a dwarf you have no idea how painful that run was my boots come up to my thighs and weigh 30 pounds each How dare you? But But actually, like to make a more, to make a a less ridiculous connection, (laughs) um, (laughs) you know, this idea of kingship, what you were saying just then about how like these things are all connected, you know, the isolation of kingship, Denethor alone on his throne, even like Theoden alone on his throne. Yeah. um, In a way sort of draws us back to Aragorn and to finally remember to talk about her before the final 22 seconds of every podcast. I almost spit out my tea. It's <laughs> our when watch, baby. It's our when watch. I like that theme song. It was great. Thanks. Would you work on that all week? Yeah. Here at the end, I gave her a theme song because baby, it's our when watch. Um, it's our when watch. You know, and like how, what is, yeah, just sort of like what kind of king yeah. do we feel like Aragorn's going to be? Because obviously like yeah. we do feel he's not going to be Denethor. He's not going to be Theoden. Most importantly, he's not going to be Isildur, you know, his ancestor. Yes, yes, his his ghosty warning, yeah. Yeah, and like he doesn't, the sort of thoughts about Boromir are so isolated in Gondor. Like the idea of him, except for, as you kind of pointed out, the way that he starts going around wearing the white tree livery, Yes. And the connection visually to putting on those gauntlets back oh, in the yeah. first movie. Like whenever he's wearing that image, you have to be thinking about Boromir in yeah. a way. I think so. I think so. I mean, that, that it, it can't be, Boromir will never die. As long as we're talking about this, Boromir will never die. But I mean, just the thing of, I mean, in this movie, it comes back, you know, Elrond says to Aragorn, when he reforges the sword, become who you were born to be or whatever. And it's like, the only reason that this happens is because of the promise that Aragorn made to Boromir. So yeah, I mean, it absolutely carries us all the way into the like lion's mouth of this movie. So interesting. Cause like they kind of try to redo it. Like they kind of try in this moment where um, Elrond shows up with the reforged sword and it's yes. like, you have to do this or Arwen's going to die. Yeah. You know, let's, let's talk he, about some bullshit. Like, yeah. Well, it's like, yeah. So that he comes back and he's like, you have to do this or Arwen's going to die. Sure. Fine. Whatever. But it's like, they're trying to make it as if Aragorn hasn't already made that choice. I know. That's what's so weird. We were like, hold the phone. Like a, when Elrond shows up and like, even blessed Hugo Weaving can't totally sell this where he's like her fate is now tied to the fate of the ring I was like pause why how like you what know. does that mean what <laughs> and also, later, like when- it's a weird it's tied but in inverse because if yeah. the ring is alive she'll die but if the ring dies oh my god it's her horcrux it's her- <laughs> <laughs> I was about 
about to be like, it's Harry Potter and Voldemort. Um, oh, no. Yeah. Neither can live while the other survives. What? How did that happen? But like, when? when by what power so like later when aragorn is holding the palantir and looking into it and having like a brief tete-a-tete with sauron um which like happens sauron is like you get the sense that sauron looking back through the palantir at aragorn is like okay bitch i see you and i raise you this and sauron (laughs) shows him a picture of arwen like beautifully dying yeah and then he sort of stumbles back and breaks and the necklace falls and shatters. Like the necklace that right. is sort of like the symbol of Arwen and the, her. The even star? The even star. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Do you Arwen remember? Watch. Sorry, sidebar. Do you oh, remember when ahead. that was like for sale in in-flight magazines? Oh, hell yeah. You're, I mean, you're talking to someone who owns a Heart of the Ocean necklace. So God bless you. <laughs> um, yeah. So Arwen watched. But yeah, so it's like this sort of weird attempt. I mean, maybe like the logic is like, God, it's been like, fully 12 hours since this happened. Maybe we need another reminder of the kind of stakes for Aragorn, or maybe we sort of lost track of his personal investment in this. Mm. But like symbolically, the fact of the matter is, as soon as he said, I will not let the white city fall, he's been introducing himself as, you know, the king of Gondor since the two towers. Like this is not actually- It's not new. New, no, it's not a decision that, you know, he still needs to make. Obviously he needs to get the sword, that's super helpful, but like the way mm-hmm. it's sort of framed is like only learning that Arwen is dying makes him take right. up the sword. It's like, no, Boromir right, dying does... made him take up the sword. Right, exactly. It's why, with it's, it's one of the, the real frontiers where we push back against the movie, I feel like, because we were like, okay, okay, okay. But like, and Arwen does have some interesting jobs in this movie. You know what really was powerful to me, which I always kind of forget, is that they, it's her that does the famous, the rhyme, the, mm-hmm. the uh, renewed shall be blade that was broken, you know, the crownless again shall be king. They put that in Arwen's voice. Yeah. And that's kind of interesting is that she gets to be the sort of prophesying, like, here we go, his power is coming out into the open, like. Yeah, well, I mean, I think because symbolically she's the one who's always believed in him. Yeah. And in a way, I guess that's what the return to Arwen is, is this sort of, yeah, embracing yeah. of the destiny. She is the voice right. of the prophecy. She's the person who's always seen who he is. You know, Boromir had to learn it and accept it. But once, right. you know, Aragorn and Boromir learned to accept themselves and each other, then he can go back to Arwen, who already was like, who's been waiting. You know, she's like, I already knew yes. that. Glad you caught yeah. up. And but like, it does. Oh, no, go ahead. No, go. Well, I was going to say, like we talked about in the in Fellowship of the Ring, like it, it, originally looks like it's being set up as this thing of Aragorn wanting to join her world but this movie is really profoundly the sort of this is the culmination of the journey of like no it's about Arwen joining his world mm-hmm. this is the movie where she makes the sort of ultimate elf sacrifice and gives up her her immortality for him mm-hmm. yeah I mean and it, it, it it reminds me of stuff we talked about way back at the very beginning of this podcast and also have returned to a couple times mm. Mm the ways in which filmmakers sometimes will reach this moment of like, this is getting a bit gay and we're going to need to relocate this relationship that has actually been building between two men and bring in a woman real fast to kind of bear the brunt of like the sexuality. And like, it's not like it gets super sexy with Eowyn. I mean, Arwen, they like kiss at the end, but it's like, it does feel a little bit like shit. We accidentally implied that he is doing all of this for Boromir. We better instead make that that he's doing all this for Arwen. Total fast. It's it's a little bit of the sort of break the homoerotic tension body swap, which like is a thing that does exist, but it is like a structural body swap. And it's like, you will never in all of your Liv Tyler whispering, make us forget Aragorn kissing Boromir's gauntlets. 
No, or kissing Boromir on the forehead. Yeah, even we'll with that, like it. very, very sweet Arwen and Aragorn kind of kiss we'll at never the forget. end. Hashtag never forget. Hashtag no, it's never horrible. forget. Um, but it is like, uh, yeah, it just it's it's it, Arwen's role in this is really kind of. I mean, it feels like a screenwriter saying, "God." damn, the women in this movie do nothing. Let's try and come up with a reason for Arwen to be important, which I respect, you know? I'm all for that effort that they made. And I think they did a fine job, but it is really, yeah. It's just interesting in tracking the sort of symbolism of the choices Aragorn makes and who prompts him to make them. Absolutely, absolutely. But of course, you know, she does, I think about sacrifice a lot when I think about that, because, you know, she makes this elfy sacrifice of like, mm-hmm. you know, she has that, the, the gorgeous sequence with Elrond where he tries to convince her to stay and she foresees the child that she and Aragorn will have and, you mm-hmm. know, the great thing of there is also life and, you know, she has that really epic line that I'm always obsessed with where she says, there is no ship now that can bear me hence. You know, the thing of like, I belong here now. <gasps> yeah. Like, so she makes the sacrifice and then Aragorn sort I mean, of- it no, fits into this pattern, doesn't it? Of she has yeah. found someone she's willing to die for. Exactly. A person exactly. who never needed to die at all says- A person who never needed to die at all not only says here's someone I'll die for, but like connecting to the idea that we raised before of like hope, this sense of like, (laughs) even though this is like the world is in darkness. And again, it's like, there is also light. The idea of like, no, I will stay in this dark, frightening place because I believe in the fact that there will be a future. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's what children mean on a symbolic level, you know, and mm-hmm. I mean, her and Elrond get to have that exchange. Again, people speaking the themes, Elrond says, I looked into your future and I saw death. And she says, but there is also life. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, I mean, yeah. What's interesting, though, is that she makes her choice specifically for Aragorn and the yes. life that they will have together and to support yep. the vision of him being king. And in terms of being willing to die... Yeah. Aragorn makes Aragorn makes that same sacrifice. He doesn't he doesn't die, but he leads as we talked about this suicidal charge with all of our major heroes to the Black Gate for Frodo, and Aragorn is willing to die so Frodo can have his chance. Mm-hmm. Like that's the thing is like he he also gets to the same place but not for her, for yeah. For us all. I mean, for, you know, I mean, this is again speaking of places where people cry. I I can't can't really deal with the, you know, for this, for the stand men of the West. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, That whole, the whole moment, you know, but then the last thing he says before the charge is for Frodo. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, and also just like, that's just made me think about all of the different people conspicuously Eowyn, but Mm. tons of other people too, who are willing to die for Aragorn. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of people. I mean, mm-hmm. going back to Helm's Deep, you know. Oh, yeah. Speaking of elves who don't need to die, both Haldir and oh. Legolas kind of making the choice to, to die. You really do feel it's for Aragorn. It's not for... No, no. You know, I mean, people keep abstract. saying, like, our people will follow you. I mean, that's why mm-hmm. Theoden is so freaking worried about him, you know, yeah. as a force, is people really will follow him. But then it's so... it's. I guess that's why it's so moving that because so many people would die for Aragorn... The fact that he, in turn, makes that sacrifice or is willing to make it for Frodo and it's like really for like Frodo's a, chance. Yeah, it's like the prelude to the "you bow to no one." I was just going to say that exactly. It's that like Aragorn's, um, yeah, Aragorn's 
nobility is the one that really sanctifies the hobbit's own nobility in a certain kind of way when it sort of redeems the idea of kingship yes because he is finally able to sort of inhabit that role sort of unafraid of threats to his power which is something that like pretty much no other king in this goddamn series is capable of absolute praise to that yeah i mean yeah that's how we know he's the right man Mm -hmm. that's how we know i mean well that's how we know that's how we really truly finally know that he's better than isildur and will never fall into the traps of his forebears is that like you know it's he allows it to be not about him yeah, it's like if the ring is selfishness and on some level kingship is selfishness, a king yeah. who will bow to a hobbit. Is the is, king you want. Is the king you want. And also, again, it's like it's sort of um, if we're sort of continuing our sense of like what hobbits yeah. represent symbolically and the sort of like yeah. ties of friendship mm-hmm. and connection and lack of hierarchy, really, Absolutely. that they represent and sort of need to spread to the world. That's, you know, yeah. Aragorn, I mean, literally bowing to that, like accepting yeah. that. Yeah. Making that part of what his kingship will be. Absolutely. Absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a gorgeous journey that he goes on, but what I've really sort of loved about us talking about it is that in a way it resolves at the end of the first movie. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's interesting because he is epic in a certain, I mean, he's absolutely a fascinating figure and it's a great performance and it's wonderful, but I found myself thinking a lot more actively about other people throughout these, these, the latter two movies because Mm -hmm. of how, how definitely the turn is made by him mm-hmm. at the end of, of fellowship where you're like, okay, we know, we know what you have to do. And what he does now is go and do it. But like other well, people this... experience. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's this, it's this, he has to have made that choice so he can become this beacon that sort of yeah. sets off this self-consciousness and anxiety in others. Right. Exactly. Yes. He's such a catalyst of like, and what's great about it, this sort of, I don't know, this like undeniable nobleness, he already carries that thing of like, I would die for other people. I would, you know, like he already has all of the, the good intentions inside of him. And somehow people are threatened by that of like, when mm-hmm. he walks into the room, you get the sense that like what the toxic masculinity Kings are worried about is like, oh, this man is, this man is better than me, mm-hmm. you know? And it's interesting, like he does it. You know, the ideal that Denethor has created for Boromir and Faramir to fail to live up to, the thing that Theoden thinks he should be. Like, Aragorn is that. Our hero is not Faramir, you know, the guy who's not quite right, who struggles with it. It's like, we do actually have the ideal and he exists and he lives and here he is doing a great job. Yeah, here he is doing a great job. This is ideal, ideal masculinity in its most, like, you know, in the, in the true idea of like service of like, yes. what is kingship, but service, like what is her- heroism has to be about like before me, the common good. And he comes to embody that. It's super interesting. Cause I was about to say, that's the piece that Denethor and for a long time, Boromir are missing. And yeah. one of the things that Denethor says to Faramir when he's sort of like, God, you suck so much is he's like, you know, d- uh, he's yelling at, Faramir for giving away the ring and Faramir right. says I did what I thought was right and Denethor says ever you op- you wish to appear lordly and gracious like the kings of old he's sort of yeah. explicitly shitting on this idea of like oh you think to be a good man is to be lordly and gracious and like old-fashioned so yeah and it's like yeah that's a real thing his name is Aragorn yeah like yes he does want to be that because that's a yeah. better thing to be than the thing that you're asking him to be yeah 
Yeah. 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 So Eric Oren, here he is doing his thing. Yeah. And I wanted to sort of return as well. I mentioned a second ago that like we have, mm. you know, Legolas at Helm's Deep kind of chooses Aragorn, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's like, he's, I mean, I think we can say he's afraid to die. Yeah. And decides to kind of fight anyway. Yes. And there's this moment that really jumped out at me in this movie as a sort of culmination of the thing I said last time that like yeah. Legolas is Ariel in the Tempest. And it's like, can you have so a human good. feeling? Like, can you sort of break through your lofty mystical elven bullshit to like connect to people mm. where it's at the battle that they're having in front of the Black Gates, their like doom right. suicide mission battle. And Aragorn is fighting a giant ass troll, which in <laughs> i mean oh, yeah <laughs> our movie trivia it was gonna be like a sort of avatar of sauron and then fortunately they realized that was a terrible idea Ooh. and cgi'd in a giant troll instead nice 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 um but so like he's like losing to this troll and there's like a multiple shots of legolas looking as disheveled as he yeah. has ever looked <laughs> trying to like fight through the crowd of soul of like fighters to get to Aragorn with like again like his hair is all over he's got this look of desperation like it's just like a Legolas we have never seen yeah trying to get to Aragorn to save him mm, absolutely and I mean Legolas has come oh our boy has come so far I mean side by side yeah, with a friend side by side with a friend man I mean the as we briefly touched on in a sort of tongue-in-cheeky way in two towers Legolas and Gimli have had you know are set up to have this comical vaguely speciesist rivalry <laughs> um you know through their elf dwarf stuff and the story of them comically wooing each other by seeing who can kill the most people has been raging for two long films and you know it culminates in this moment by the black gate where everybody is like sort of saying their piece and Gimli says I never thought I would die side by side with an elf and Legolas says how about side by side with a friend and in the most emotion he ever shows Gimli says uh I think I could do that yeah and it is like very emotional it is but it's also in a weird way I mean I think the reason that like we haven't touched on it before this point is that like mm -hmm. it is the affirmation of the kind of trauma bonding that I yeah. think so much of the rest of the movie is seeking to reject mm, as true. you know a core way of forming it's like in a way it's like the movie's like yeah we know that you can bond in battle like that's yeah. the thing that Eowyn is so envious of right you right. know, it's like, we that's not a discovery. It's nice that an elf and a dwarf can do it. And that like, yeah. you know, Legolas yeah. and Gimli have found a way to do that kind of in spite of their differences. But in a way, it's right. like, I think the movie's not super interested in treating that relationship anything but lightly. Even though, as you say, that final mm -hmm. moment is like really lovely. It's touching. It's touching. But I do think, you know, I mean, it's, it's, I think you're right to point at Legolas's uh, loyalty and panic about Aragorn as an equally weighty kind of thing of, of where he ends up. It's just that like, it's um, his friendship with Aragorn is just as important as yeah. his friendship with Gimli. We're like contrasting it to the moment in Two Towers when they thought, when they think Aragorn's dead and then he comes back and like Legolas has the really sort of like cheeky, like, you know, you, you're late, you look right. awful. And oh. that too, then this moment by the end where he can find no, I mean, obviously like, he was upset when it happened as well, but it's like, he can find no smoothness. He can find no humor. He can find no focus. You know, he's not this yes. kind of like sleek eagle eye archer in this moment. He's just like yeah. frantically trying to like elbow his way past 
you know, fellow yeah. soldiers. Thinking about how calm he's been this entire time just made me realize that I have failed to derail us by whispering the horses are restless and the men are quiet. <laughs> I was like, when we watched it, I was like, because there are just so many little, like, strange, like, gnomic beats of Legolas just, like, coming out of nowhere saying some incredibly non-sequitur shit. And it's just like, man, what a weird job he's been doing. What a man. The horses are restless and the men are quiet. But, uh, but yeah, he arrives somewhere. He arrives at having a human feeling, letting his elf calm be disturbed, agreeing to die side by side with a friend. Even on the Mm -hmm. light plots, we get to this place of be willing to die with your friends. That's how, that's how you achieve something in this series. Yeah. That's where you end up. That is where you end up. But ultimately, and I think this will lead us into our final couple, you don't have to die. No. Is the hope. Yeah. The hope is, the hope for is- God's sake, <laughs> that you don't have to die. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So here we are. It's time for Frodo and Sam. Emma is sort of draped over the back of her chair. In a- I'm a shell of a man at this point. <laughs> um, I'm an absolute shell. Yeah. Here we so, are. I mean, I just think for me, there's just there's just so much to say. And yep. One of the things that jumped out at me based on our conversations way back in the first movie was when, you know, they're having one of their multiple in this movie. And by this point, conversations about like, will there be a return journey? And early in the movie, Sam is like, you know, oh, we have to save some for the way back. And Frodo's like, I don't think there will be a return journey, Sam. And he's like, no, it's there and back again, just like Mr. Bilbo. And I was like, just like gay Uncle Bilbo, (laughs) our role model. Remember, just like our gay icon, Bilbo Baggins. Yeah. But then obviously the reason they have this conversation multiple times is because Mm -hmm. Sam's perspective on that question shifts in a very tragic way. Jesus Christ, it's so upsetting. I mean, it's the question of hope, right? It's the idea of like, it's slipping away, but can you keep going? Yes, yes. It's slipping away, but can you keep going? And as you quite rightly pointed out in Two Towers, Gollum exists on this journey to sort of put the finger on the scale on the ring side and show, to have a physical embodiment along the journey with Frodo and Sam of what happens if Sam loses, of like the Frodo that never comes back is Gollum. And it's horrible to be traveling deeper and deeper into that question alongside that that embodiment. It's really, it's like very, very haunting. And also he's an annoying shit who keeps, you know, berating mm. Sam in less symbolic ways as well. But yeah, I mean, why are we the body shaming? Why we got to go there? Listen, it's how dare you, Gollum? But my God. But yeah, I mean, it's there is a moment. It's not their first conversation in the movie, but there is a moment where that that as you are leading us toward where that thing switches and Frodo says something about the return journey and Sam says, I don't think there will be a return journey, Mr. Frodo. And it's like, we have arrived. I mean, like you, like we've been talking about the, the ember of hope has burned so low, the la- the long night, 
you know, of this movie is like, if even Sam acknowledges that there might not be a return journey, we are in deep, deep shit. Yeah. And <laughs> it's such a contrast because there's, oh, there's that moment early in the movie when they're walking <laughs> and they see the like big old statue of some king and the head's fallen off and, yeah. you know, moss has grown up on it and then light breaks through the clouds and illuminates the, the flowers. And, you know, he's like, oh, look, the king has his crown again. I mean, Sam does. This, this is the moment. This is the moment that truly broke me. It's another little exchange from the extended edition. So it just like ripped my soul out through my mouth. The moment where Sam looks up at the sky and says, "There's uh, there's light up there, a beauty that the dark that the shadow can't touch." And I, I was mean, just it's like, totally I'll the show bookmark to I do not think this darkness will endure. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. There's something so like conspicuous to me symbolically that like the reason that three quarters of this movie takes place mm -hmm. in darkness is not because it's mm -hmm. nighttime but because there are clouds yeah 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 I mean we're literally engulfed like we're in engulfed shadow, you know but by something that will pass yeah yeah it is it's really really emotional and so the Sam Frodo thing is like as we've talked about and laid out earlier, it's like, there's only ever one test for mm -hmm. Sam and Frodo. It just intensifies. Mm -hmm. And the barometer of how much it's intensified is now we're almost to Mordor and, and Gollum is getting real wiggly. And, <laughs> you know, it's just like this thing of if Sam acknowledges that there may not be a return journey, then that relationship is much more fragile than it's ever been, which obviously Gollum capitalizes on by, framing Sam for eating the Lembus bread when they're that very day stairs. that very day and it's really really upsetting and horrible and so what's crazy about it is that about halfway through the movie maybe even a third in Sam and Frodo have a breakup scene mm -hmm. in this movie and it is devastating <laughs> it's horrible yeah like you know, after everything they've fucking been through, after everything we've been through with, it's me, it's your Sam, all everything. We, and you know, the gorgeous speech Sam makes at the end of Two Towers, like he has stood up for hope so many times and we still get this moment on the stairs where Frodo believes Gollum. And even if he doesn't, he recognizes that he has passed into a place where Sam's like goodness is no longer of use to him. Like he just has gone into such a shadow space. And so what he says is go home, Sam. Mm -hmm. And Sam like crumples utterly and it's break it's like breaks me. And then he walks crying like all the way down the stairs again. That's the worst part. The idea of him climbing oh, those God. stairs two more times. It's unreal. And also, of course, then as we commented, when he gets to the bottom far enough to find the lumbus spread that Gollum dropped and then sort of run back up, we were like, you've made a very quick return journey, Sam. <laughs> How did he do it so fast? I mean, but yeah, I mean it's that also symbolically. It's mm -hmm. both heartbreaking and irritating because you're like, well, he can't succeed without Sam. So, like, yeah, clearly yeah, it, nothing good is going to happen now. No, we're imperiled in a way that we've never been imperiled in this thread of the journey before. And obviously, I'm tempted to skip over it quite quickly because we both hate it so much. Then we get Shelob, Giant Spider Time. Um, I will say that at this point, we were so insane. I feel like I have to bring into the light the fact that you texted me when we got to this part. Haley messaged me, Shelob is a brunch gay. Discuss? <laughs> and I was like, get out. 
there's not a question mark. I wasn't suggesting we discuss it. I was commanding you to discuss it. Well, here I am Just discussing it. Um, it was like an essay prompt. She yeah. has a brunch. She loves a brunch gay. Discuss <laughs> in this essay. Um, I will. Uh, but, yeah. I mean, I think that then. I mean, I think we can skip over it because it's like everything's mm -hmm. terrible, basically, and it's terrible. Immediately, Gollum turns on Frodo so much faster. I always remember oh. them being together alone for way longer than they are, but it's like fifteen seconds because <laughs> Gollum can't keep his shit together any longer than that. But yeah. then we, I mean, it all sort of builds to you know, Sam comes back, saves Frodo as he always does, as we knew he, he would. But then he becomes the third of only three people in this movie to willingly give up the ring. Yes, 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 he does. The only people who willingly give up the ring are Faramir, Bilbo, Bilbo, and, and, Sam. For, and Sam. And I mean, because I just don't think that having your finger bitten off counts as willingly giving up the ring. Really doesn't. Frodo, my sweet angel, we'll get to you later. But, uh, but Sam, I mean, like, to me, the thing that really looking at it through this lens was just so it's just so powerful and kind of stark is that like, once again, it's not just that Sam saves the world because Sam is the ultimate non-selfishness. It's that like, he has been rejected. The only thing, the only person that he loves rejected him and sent him home and he came back anyway. Yeah, it's it's extraordinary. And when he comes back and finds Frodo's body, I mean, it's heartbreaking, but like that when Frodo is all wrapped up in spider webs and, oh. looks gro and looks gross and dead, Sam gives us this horrifying gem where he is sitting there cradling Frodo's body and weeping. And he says, don't leave me here alone. Don't go where I can't follow. I mean, and that's the thing, isn't it? Because he comes back because he finds the bread. Like there's still yeah. in him this spark of faith that yeah. if Frodo knew the truth, I can yes. I can show him this proof and then he'll change his mm -hmm. mind. Yeah. Like he's not, he hasn't gone insane. He nope. hasn't lost his humanity or his connection to me. Yeah. Now I've got the evidence. So now he'll see the truth and it'll be fine. It's this spark mm -hmm. of faith that like I can always find my way back to him. And that's what's so devastating about the don't go where I can't follow. Cause it's like, oh I can God. and will follow anywhere under anywhere. any conditions yes 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 which is why like okay he's already you know I mean he comes back up he follows when the you know he hides when the orcs come and scoop up Frodo's body and take him all the way into the like citadel of evil power in Mordor he follows him all the way there and yeah. as you said gives the ring back it's just the most. It's just like devotion as an extreme sport. <laughs> That's such a good way of putting it. Yeah. The annual Frodo carry. I mean, because it is, it just becomes this very, I mean, this is the thing that like I kind of said in the first episode of like, this is a world where you really only get to become physically intimate in like conditions oh, of like profound sort of extremity. agony and stress and extremity. Yeah. yeah. So it's like they get to be physically tender with each other in a way that like, other characters don't really get the chance to do like just the carrying and the you know f giving yeah. Frodo water and all this stuff like there's just this physical <sighs> intimacy that they are permitted that yeah. nobody else is I mean even just extending to sort of like being sprawled on this rock together about to die yeah. holding each other there's a lot of holding yeah and like I, yeah I mean I think that's kind of what I would like like what I think we should talk about is like how this mm. fits in with this idea that it's like you have to be willing to die, but maybe you don't actually have to. Because it just feels mm -hmm. so significant that they end up on this rock here together. 
accepting that they're going to die. And I mean, it feels really pointed that as soon as Sam's like, I liked this girl, Frodo's like, let me just put my arm around you. It's so is. You, oh my God, it is so I'm intense. Happy. You, Miss Rosie, I'm happy to be here with you. I mean, it's just... It's extraordinary. And I mean, every moment, you know, like even after Frodo, every time Frodo gets misled throughout the thing, every time this movie has dips, like peaks and valleys in their relationship, like no other movie does. And every time, like I was so struck by, I think it's when they're in the tower in Mordor, when he wakes up and he's like, like naked and covered with spider's webs and just absolutely flipping out. When he sees Sam, the first thing he says, like crying, he says, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, Sam. I'm sorry for everything. And it is like the kind of emotional honesty that they have with each other at moments of extremity too. Like, as well as the touching, as well as the, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's just that like, I mean, what it leads to, to me is like the reason I feel like I can't not think about World War I and like World War I literature when thinking about these stories. And like, you know, we talked about the trauma bonding and all this stuff, but it's like, the sadness of that moment after they thought they were going to die in each other's arms and the sense of like Frodo's specific inability to come back from that moment is one thing but also it's just like the whole sort of like melancholia of like that scene back in the Shire when they're all sitting at the table together sort of sadly but also just the sort of you know like the melancholy of maturity that sort of suffuses everything else that they do like they all have sort of like different clothes that look a little more sort of like stately and mature they kind of look somber yeah somber they kind of look like country squires now like there's this Hmm. sadness and it is like the sadness of leaving I think I mean what it so often is in world war one like kind of queer coded or explicitly queer world war one literature is like the sadness of leaving this time when it was permitted that the most important relationships in your lives were these other men and you know the the profound bonds that you shared were the Mm -hmm. thing that saved you and the thing that mattered and sort of every relationship that comes after that including if not especially the heterosexual ones feel hollow yes yeah I mean after you have saved the world together and like I mean the I mean but I think it is like it's easy to read it as like how do you come back from the high of having saved the world but like I don't think well, it's yeah. that. No, no, but it's the it's the to it's me like, it comes oh no, go ahead. Well, it's just like it's like where we're going to die on a mountaintop in yeah. you know our shirts in each other's arms in and each now other's you're arms. You're going to go marry a woman and I'm alone and I can't watch. That thing of just like the so in the so I feel like because we sort of buzzed past it we can't totally we can't we can't not say I can't carry the ring but I can carry you because that I mean when you're speaking about the physicality it's like it all boils down to that moment I mean it's like the apotheosis of the entire journey it is so insanely beautiful yeah and like in the ultimate sense, you all knew we were leading here in the Sam versus the ring thing of it's just like Frodo gives out completely and it is Sam's physical body that carries him to the end of the journey. Like mm-hmm. Frodo, Sam's body becomes Frodo's body in that <laughs> in the final stretch. Like it's like incredibly beautiful. And then as you say, we're like surrounded by lava, like dying on a rock together and it's stunning. And also, I mean, the, the thing of... of um, 
you know, he keeps trying, like this thing of Sam reminding him of home, it all comes to a head in, in the final section where he, you know, he says like, do you remember, he keeps trying to remind him of things. Like, do you remember the, you know, think about the Shire and it's only after Frodo gets his finger bitten off and gives up the ring. And so, I don't know, there's something about Sam continually trying to remind him of like the sensory mm -hmm. memories of where they come from. And then after it's all done, Frodo, like, bursting forth with that like having that gorgeous moment where he is like I can see the Shire like I remember and stuff while they're lying there like it's absolutely all come to rest in that moment mm -hmm. if that makes sense it does but then it's like and then it just sort of makes it even more devastating no. when in the end it comes back to we did it to save the Shire and we did but not for me but not it's for like me. it can't transcend yes that moment and again it's like this is what makes me think of the sort of like queer literature of the trenches it's like it's that thing well yeah. we were there together right exactly and the thing your brilliant point about why Frodo feels so gay and why that's connected to this whole journey is that thing of if you and your friends have all been through the same thing yeah and somehow only you are like irrevocably traumatized by it and yes. kind of wish you were still you know on that rock in Sam's arms in some yes. perverse way yes maybe you're gay Maybe you're gay. Yeah. If you and your friends experience the same traumatic journey, but only you are changed permanently. I mean, I think they're all changed permanently, but it's like only yeah. Frodo is changed can't... in a way that he can never go back. Exactly. Exactly. Like he saved I... the Shire, but not for me. Like I couldn't save the Shire. It, it's ruined now, yeah. but only for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's just... I mean, it reminds me of the conversation that we had about Master and Commander and the idea <laughs> of like, as long as we're in this little world on our ship, yeah, like our, the relationships we want to have are the relationships we can have. And it's just like, it feels really intentionally melancholy, this image of like, and then they go off and marry these faceless, nameless women that have no, li no lines because mm. they don't care. It doesn't matter as much. No, and I mean, there's something that I had never really noticed before about the very end when Frodo is leaving, and he does a thing that has recurred in a couple of the movies that we've talked about, which is essentially whilst self-immolating and disappearing forever, he leaves a note, <laughs> and he leaves Sam an emotional oh letter. It's Gattaca all over again. He leaves Sam an emotional letter, which is then the voiceover that takes us through the very end. And he says, um, you have so much to be and to do. He says, you cannot always be torn in two. Mm -hmm. And that to me so speaks of like the World War One literature stuff that you're talking about of like, we, got, we went through this absolute like fire together and you are going to have the rest, like a life. And the thing of you cannot always be torn in two, to me, that has such a thing of like, I can't stay for you to have the life that you're meant to have. Like you can't have like, right? Like I can't be part of the life that you're going to have with a wife and a child. Like, well, and also that like the type of love that you are giving yeah. to her is currently also like some of it's going to me. Like they're the right. same type of love and there's a limited quantity of it. Yeah. And I'm taking up some that needs to go to her now. It's the most it's the most. I mean, it's the most it's, gay. <laughs> it's so gay. I, well, and I mean, we ha I, I got sidetracked by the by that point without mentioning the curtain call hug scene that you hate, but I but I do sort of love, if only for them. Of like when when Gandalf's eagle 
friends finally scoops the salmon Frodo off the rock. And then we end up in this thing of Frodo in this gorgeous, like white bed back at, I want, I guess, Rivendell. It was yeah, sort it of like where, it. yeah, where everybody comes in one by one. And it's like a literal fellowship curtain call where everybody gets to hug Frodo and there's like some slow-mo shouting and it's ridiculous. And he forgets like, Legolas's name. <laughs> and he absolutely forgets Legolas's name, but like everybody gets their moment and everyone's reunited and Gandalf is laughing and it's gorgeous. And then the last thing that happens is like the last person is like Sam now clean, uh, you know, enters the room and everything sort of falls away. And it's just like this really, really sad, wistful eye contact, half smile between him and Frodo. Mm -hmm. That shit is so gay. (laughs) It's so gay. I mean, it's just like, yeah, you know, some enchanted evening, you may meet a stranger across a crowded room. (laughs) You may meet someone you know very well across the crowd. it's the eye contact of shared experience. It's like literally like yeah. everyone else, sort of, the way that like everyone else is out of focus and you can see that like Mary and Pippin are like gleefully jumping on the bed yeah, and like yeah. Frodo, but they're sort of just sharing this glance of like, no, no, we have something yeah. that- No one else will ever understand. No one else will ever understand. And like, we can't demonstrate. Yes, exactly. And I've been thinking a lot about something we talked about last week, the 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 Kate Blanchett voiceover, um, Frodo in his heart, Frodo has begun to understand, has begun to understand that the quest will claim his life. And the fact that now that here we are at the end of Return of the King, it's like the quest does claim his life. Yeah. hundred percent. Even though it's not in the way that we might've expected up until that point. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, I don't know. The Shire I've, always safe, felt, yeah. I've always felt that that's what she means is that yes. we think, I think we're meant to think she means literally, but I think she being like a prophet sees right. it in that sense. 100%. And it really haunts the movie for me, especially when we get into the 85 endings where everybody else gets resolved and like we crown Aragorn, Ar- Arwen comes out, everybody is like, everybody is resolved in their proper place, Faramir and Eowyn, everyone. And then the single out of focus point mm-hmm. is our like, you know, sweet gay protagonist who you know, did perform the ultimate sacrifice, basically. He's like, you know, your thing of like, maybe you don't really have to die. Like it's, there has to be a death and it's yeah. Frodo. Yeah, and he does, he does, you're totally right. Um, he does die. Sam doesn't have to die. Yeah. He's willing to die for Frodo and doesn't ultimately have to. In fact, Frodo kind of gives him permission to live. Yes, exactly. But, That's what makes it so gay is that Frodo gives him permission to live and is also like, but someone has to go and it's me. So, and I'm like, yeah. in a way I'm already dead. Yeah, well, and it's so, I was so struck. The thing that like just absolutely shatters me in this movie is that final shot of Frodo when he boards the boat and then he turns back to th- look at them on the shore, but also turns to the camera and gives this like little smile. And since, basically since the rescue, he's had this like white pallid, like corpse makeup with like these dark yes. circles under his eyes. He looks awful. And they sort of, you know, at some point, I think Sam comments on it and like, it's like, you don't look great. Um, and then for that shot as they turn, they very subtly, like it's not obvious, but they've changed his makeup and he has color yeah. in his cheeks again. And he yeah. looks as young as he looked in the first movie in whatever sort of subtle ways they've aged him over the course of the film. Yeah. And it really is like, he was dead. There. and now on this mm-hmm. boat going to the afterlife i'm literally yeah. choking up um here we are guys <laughs> here we are he, you know it's like he is yeah. actually you only in that contrast can you see like oh he wasn't really alive 
No, and I mean, it's what he says. It really is such gay World War One literature. What he says when he comes back, there's a shot before they go to the Grey Havens or whatever. There's a shot of him alone in Bilbo's house. And the voiceover is him saying, there are hurts that go too deep that have mm. taken hold, you know? And I mean, it's like, Jesus Christ. And okay, so here we are at the very, very end of this beautiful love. And I think the thing, the thing about him and Sam is that, I don't know, I mean the totality, the fact that so much is contained in those final looks, you know, and the fact that Frodo knows, Frodo knows that without Sam, there would be no world, he'd be dead, there'd be no Shire, you know, like we all would have failed, like the the, the depth of the love is so unspeakable. Mm -hmm. And it all boils down to on those last little, on the, the little goodbyes that they make before Frodo gets on the boat, we could not believe it that here at the end of Return of the King, we end with a forehead kiss. We're back. <gasps> a gentle forehead kiss. It's a pretty normative way of expressing queer affection. But man, and I mean, not seen since Boromir and Aragorn. That is so true. I don't think anyone uh-uh. else has done it. Not seen since Boromir and Aragorn. Back it is, Frodo and Sam. It's like, he says goodbye to everyone else. Gandalf is waiting for him at the boat. He and Merry and Pippin are like, they get it, but they're sad. They're crying. He hugs them. He turns back to Sam and Sam just literally breaks and like, and Frodo sort of reaches and like holds his face and kisses his forehead and then like walks away. And I mean that, yeah, man, here we are. Forehead kiss. I mean, and it's, there's something about I feel like there's something we need to tie together here yeah. about some of these things that we've said, especially in this movie about, you know, you need, I mean, it's clear with Frodo and Sam, you need the partner because otherwise you can't succeed. Right. You know, and you need the person who like, I mean, I guess it's this idea that like, you need the partner, you need to be willing to die, mm-hmm. which, and in the case of Frodo and you will, and you will. But for mm-hmm. some reason, there's still, you need that, but not alone. Not alone. Yeah. I think that's just it. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. And I break the mood by saying, the yeah. funniest part of that scene is that Gladriel's <laughs> fucking husband is there. That guy's face is the most 2004 face. Seen- since they were in Love Lorien in the first movie, I don't think we, I think we say his name one time, maybe only in the extended edition. Like, and there he is in like the most moving and important scene of this goddamn movie. <laughs> and Caliborn is here. You can tell that he knows it too. That actor, like, he has, has on his face the like petrified mask of like, and I'm also present. Like, it's and just. Here as well. Like, so many, many a like secondary Shakespeare character in like. <laughs> In the final scene, he's just yeah. like, it's me, a guy, it's Oma. in Twelfth Night, like, I was in this play. I'm also here. Yeah, it's just oh like. God, it just like, it makes me laugh every time. It's extraordinary. So like, yeah. holy shit. It's Elrond. It's Gandalf. It's Galadriel. Unreal. It's Him. this fool? Like, <laughs> that was that guy? Yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable. But like, oh. Into the West, man. I just, 
here I like I what what can we even say here at the literal end of all things <laughs> I think all we can say is that the Lord of the Rings is gay it's gay you guys it's gay 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 and that's that um gosh I mean thank you for joining thank you. us on this unprecedented journey um understandably perhaps we're gonna take a little break for the holidays and also just to recover emotionally we're gonna breathe into a bag for a couple weeks <laughs> yeah but we'll be back it may be that by that time um emma will have convinced me we should become a downton abbey rewatch podcast but that's unlikely or a hillary mantel recap podcast yeah no but we're, we're gonna we'll be back uh in the new year and we just can't thank you enough for joining us um do leave, you know, ratings, reviews, oh. etc. If you so choose, berate us for mm. ruining the ending of this podcast by mentioning fucking Caliborn. Um, and follow us on Instagram. Please follow us on Instagram, y'all, at This Movie Is Gay Podcast. We'll see you very soon. Mm-hmm.